couple of things, probably a short podcast. Usually I think the second one of the week's going to be shorter, but we'll see. I can ramble on. We'll definitely capable of talking for a long time. One announcement to make, uh, Ted Bell is coming on the podcast next week. On Tuesday, we're recording. I was on his podcast, The Arch Independent, a couple weeks ago. Really enjoyed that appearance. And I want to just talk to him about citizen journalism. I think that most of our journalists are failing us. They're not really journalists. They identify as journalists, but doesn't make them journalists. They're basically glorified PR people for the powerful corporations and governments. And they write down what the governments and powerful corporations want you to think. They're there to manipulate opinion. They're not there to tell the truth. And so there's obviously real journalists. There's exceptions like Glenn Greenwald and Matt Taibbi and others. But for the most part, our journalists have let us down. There's a lot of just regular people doing what I would consider journalism. And Ted Bell is one of them. He really opened my eyes on the whole Russiagate fiasco. I I was dubious of the narrative in 2017, 2018. But there was a part of me that was like, well, if they're all reporting this stuff all the time, there's got to be some grain of truth to it. It's got to be plausible. I mean, it's, it was plausible that Trump was a compromised person. And so maybe this is true. Maybe they do have the goods on him. And it took me listening to Ted Bell's podcast at the time, 2018, where he really went into the legal filings, the documents, the, the facts that were established on the record with George Papadopoulos and what that whole thing was. And then once he went, he, he approached it from a really interesting angle because and we'll talk about this more on Tuesday, but George Papadopoulos, that case was so absurd, so fraudulent against him. And once you understood what was actually going on with respect to him, you started to understand the, the depth of the fraud in the entire thing. So I thought it was really clever and really well-researched and documented. So uh, we're going to talk about other things. We're going to talk about the uh, bio labs in Ukraine and what those are, what we know, what we don't know. And again, it'll just be sort of a deeper dive uh, in a sort of citizen journalism sense uh, down that rabbit hole. And maybe just talk about in general what what we can do, what you can do as a person, what you know, so resources, where you can find legal filings, things that are just established on the record rather than just this really difficult ecosystem of disinformation that's coming from largely the legacy media. I mean, obviously there's cranks out there from all sides, but I think the largest megaphone of disinformation is, is no doubt coming from the legacy media. And we just actually saw it. It's a good timing to talk about this because we just saw it the other day with the Hunter Biden laptop story, which was suppressed week before the election, final week of before the election, that story that the New York Post reported, which now turns out to be completely true. In fact, we knew it was true. The New York Times just confirmed it. It's not like the New York Times has any credibility left. It's just that when they report a story adverse to their interests, it basically just shows, oh, okay, even they're admitting it now. And they're admitting that that the whole cover-up of that story was disinformation. It was preventing good information from reaching the public who were voting on an important election. And it doesn't matter. You might have read the story and still voted for Biden. That's fine. But it's just wrong to suppress important, relevant information Uh, in a democracy. And they did that. Not only was the New York Post suspended from Twitter, that the the story was banned from Twitter. The story was not reported in places like NPR, the New York Times, they dismissed it. 
And you should check out uh, a guy, Drew Holden, does these threads of all of the legacy and corporate media personalities and outlets that, you know, said one thing back then. And now in light of what's happened now, they, they don't even apologize or retract. They just ignore it. But that, you know, given what we now know to be true, you look at what they were saying back then, how uh, there were 99 former intelligence people or maybe current intelligence people, CIA, FBI, who signed, who, who wrote a letter, I think that was published in the New York Times, but they wrote some sort of letter that was reported on, certainly by the New York Times, that the Biden laptop, the Hunter Biden laptop story was, quote, Russian disinformation. So they said it was Russian disinformation, our intelligence community, that the all the corporate legacy media outlets ran with that explanation, refused to report on it. Twitter actually suspended the New York Post account. Like basically social media and the legacy media conspired Right? This is a conspiracy. It's not a conspiracy theory. This is a conspiracy fact. They conspired to withhold pertinent information from voters on the final week of the election. This is just a, a fact. And they purport to care about disinformation and, oh, we're so serious about disinformation. That was a huge story. And, and again, I haven't really dived deeply into the details of what was on the laptop and how it implicates Joe Biden, not just Hunter Biden. A lot of morons are like, yeah, yeah I'm still not voting for Hunter Biden. Yeah, that's not the point. The point is that story was relevant. Take off your blinders for one second and imagine if there was a scandal with one of Trump's kids in the Ukraine, you'd want that story reported. I would want that story reported. It may or may not impact the father, but certainly relevant right before the election. And there certainly was some implication that it, that it impacted Biden, that it had something to do with Joe Biden. But anyway, either way, it should be for the voters to decide, not suppressed obviously so it doesn't matter you know who was the, the story was about or whether or not biden was implicated and maybe ted bell will have some insight into that tuesday but what really matters is that there was a censorship campaign not based on whether it was true but based on who it helped and this is the theme these outlets these corporate media outlets and these government officials and the cia officials obviously they're professional liars they do not care about informing you just full stop. I, I want you to absorb this. The New York Times, the paper of record, the Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, they do not care about informing you. They care about who the information hurts and who the information helps. That is the definition of propaganda. Propaganda is using information to create an effect, create beliefs that are in keeping with the agenda. Absolutely not about truth. And you're going to have to look elsewhere for truth. I, I, I can't believe there's people, and there are people, many, who still take what the CIA says and what the New York Times writes down, because they're often stenographers for the intelligence community, as, as face value truth, rather than, okay, I'm looking at this article. Why am I reading this? What do they want me to think? Why do they want me to think it? I mean, that's really what these papers are. If you're interested at all in the news, that's what it is. Why am I hearing this now? What do they want me to think? Why do they want me to think it? And you can even ask, why did they, why did the times even report on the Biden story being true? I don't know. Maybe there's some value in now that the election is long gone. Now that um, that's already happened, maybe there's something about to come out that they're trying to get ahead of. I don't know, but that's the question I'm always asking. I don't always have the answer to the question, but I'm why now, why am I reading this? Never oh, this must be true. I think Dalton and I talked about this, the Gell-Mann effect. It's coined by Michael Crichton, the uh, fiction writer. 
who said you can read about a topic in a newspaper or see it on TV that you know well about. And, and this happened when they covered the whole uh, FanDuel DraftKings fantasy sports, daily fantasy sports scandal. And the reporting on that was just terrible because I knew about it because I was in the industry and I knew the facts of the case. And the New York Times just totally botched it. And you know they have no idea what they're talking about when you actually understand the area in depth. And yet you flip the page and they're reporting on the Middle East and you're like, oh, what's going on in the Middle East? Let me see what they have to say. As though it's only your area that they got wrong and, and everything else must be completely right because you don't know any better. Um, scale man amnesia is the term for that. And, and we all have it to an extent. We all want to have a paper of record, something to give us the truth. And sadly, these institutions have failed. One other example of disinformation I thought was hilarious. There was a press conference with Jen Psaki, the uh, Biden press secretary. And one of the reporters asked her, would you be more concerned with someone like Joe Biden, who's 79, getting COVID versus like a 20-year-old getting COVID? Isn't it more serious for old people? Which is just obviously established fact. This is not... Uh, controversial at all. And she said, no, COVID affects everybody. I wouldn't say that. It's like the, they are purporting to combat disinformation and they are the biggest and most influential purveyors of disinformation. They want you to be scared. They want you to inject your kids. They want you to be worried that your kid could die if he got COVID. So they just can't admit the facts, which is that obviously COVID disproportionately affects the ill and the old. It's just a fact. So most diseases do, although some flus affect the young also. But with COVID especially, it disproportionately affects the old. This is not a controversial thing. But the press secretary could not just simply acknowledge that because it was true. That information had to be weighed for what effect it would have. So the effect that it would have is parents would relax. They stop freaking out about COVID. They stop masking their kids in certain cities where that's still, still sadly forced on them. And it would have the, an undesirable effect. So she couldn't give that information. The worst offenders of disinformation are the ruling class, the government, the intelligence communities. Obviously, that is their job to lie, to have psyops, and of course, the corporate media. They are the worst offenders. Purporting to stamp out disinformation, and you probably know this if you listen to this podcast, if you haven't turned off this podcast by now, you probably agree with this, is just simply information that does not advance their agenda. They want to stamp out information that could be used to challenge their agenda. That is it. That is very simple. That's all it is. It's completely fake. And you have to wonder if they're lying about the Biden story being Russian disinformation, what else are they saying is Russian disinformation that is actually valid? We have a war between Russia and Ukraine. There's a lot of shaky information going back and forth. Russia is not a reliable source of information either. You should not trust them. They are also a nation state that has employed propaganda over the decades. You cannot trust them at face value. But what about the stuff coming from Ukraine? What about the stuff coming from the U.S. media about Russia and Ukraine and the stuff that they allege is Russian disinformation? Now that you see that they use that smear for the Biden story, which was totally false, it's going to be kind of hard to trust that the other stuff dismissed as Russian disinformation is actually Russian disinformation. It may actually be true. And that's one of the reasons I want to talk to Ted Bell on Tuesday, see what he has to say about the whole bioweapons lab thing. Is it disinformation? Is it Russian disinformation? Maybe, but we cannot at face value 
take that. We, we cannot take that at face value. We cannot trust them with what is and is not Russian disinformation. That Russian disinformation exists does not mean that any specific instance of information that is adverse to the agenda of our ruling class is necessarily Russian disinformation, obviously. And we know that they're willing to lie in the case of the laptop story. I'm sure they're willing to lie in many other instances. It's, for them, it's just what advances our interest. So we have to just completely ignore the legacy media and the Biden press secretary and what our intelligence agency is telling us and realize they're just simply trying to manipulate us to their, to advance their ends. And we have to, we're, we have to go it alone. So I think it's good timing to have Ted Bell on uh, and I'm excited to talk to him. Other things, don't, won't talk about this the whole time. All right, a couple of updates just about me. I haven't done the XM show in a couple of weeks. The first week I was on vacation. So it's only been a couple of weeks now that I would have been doing the show and I'm at home during that time and I don't have a show to do. And maybe this sentiment will change. I can't promise, but I am just so relieved. I just feel so good about not having this appointment from 5 to 7 p.m. in the evening. I'll cook dinner. I'll get some work done. I don't have to run back from the track or wherever I'm going. And I'll talk about the track in a second. If I'm out, I don't have to worry about getting home. It's just so nice not to have this middle of the day thing blocked off that I have to do. And moreover, uh, as much as I love fantasy baseball and I love talking to Jeff, like our producers, I like talking to our guests. I am glad not to have to talk about fantasy baseball for two hours a day, four days a week when I just have other things on my mind. So I talked about that last week a little bit, but man, it is just such a relief not to be forced to talk about something I don't want to talk about. It's just incredible. I mean, I can't believe that in my job at age 50, I was still talking about shit. That I did not really feel like talking about. And I understand the, uh, the necessity of adding value if people want it. There's a demand, you have a job, fine. But it just feels great. I'll talk a little fantasy baseball in this podcast in a bit because I, I want to, but not because I'm forced to for two hours. So uh, maybe I'll miss it this summer. It's certainly a great platform, but it's just so nice to be free. And then we're talking about like summer plans and we're like, oh, why are we going to LA? I hate LA. I hate the way LA's handled the lockdowns. I've lost respect for the whole city, the way they've complied with this. Why don't we stay in Colorado with Heather's sister and check out Wyoming? We're looking maybe to see if there's property we could get in Wyoming. Very Bitcoin friendly state also, but may as well just go to Colorado for most of the summer. And it's just such a huge deal not to have the XM show where I have to be like, wait, well, what day are we traveling? I have to make sure that we can test for the bandwidth of the show. It's just such a relief just to be able to have a laptop and a microphone and be able to do my job um, without worrying about the timing of the XM show and dragging the codec around and plugging it in and making sure there's good ethernet connection and 30 megabytes up and down. It's just such a relief. Cannot tell you. It's just freedom. I can't believe it. I know it doesn't, it might sound ridiculous to most people that two hours a day, four days a week, talking fantasy sports with people you like is such a burden, but it's been 12 years. Like every time we went anywhere, it was a, it was a thing. Now, if you never travel, maybe it's no big deal, but we travel a lot. We live overseas and just having to factor that into every single plan, man, just what a relief. It just makes life easier. Heather's so relieved that we don't have to worry about the XM show. So I'm working on some writing. I'm working on these podcasts. I, I have a piece that was about to send. And then I thought, ah, it's not quite right. It's a tough thing. You don't want to get into a, a mindset where you want things to be perfect. 
and then you just don't publish anything at the same time. You don't want to just dash off content just to keep creating content. So I'm close on this one piece and maybe another one, but they're not just quite right. And I just have to sit with them a bit. I won't tell you what they're about. Sometimes if you talk about things too much that you're working on, you don't end up writing it. I can talk about something else, some ideas that I have though, that I, uh, I've talked about a little bit before, but I really think the skepticism faculty that we all have, you know, okay, here's, I'm going to say something, this happened, or there's bio labs in Russia, or there's bio labs in Ukraine, or this is happening or whatever the assertion is. We have like a skepticism faculty, everybody like, you don't just believe everything someone says. And it's really valuable. It's sort of like an immune system for your mind. You don't just trust anything that someone tells you. And I think in a healthy situation, kids, they kind of revere their parents to a certain age. Your parents are everything. And then as you get to be like 12 or 11 or whenever, you know, teenager or whatever, you start to see your parents as humans and regular people. You start to see them in perspective a little bit. And at least in a healthy family. And you're like, God, my dad has got these crazy ideas or my mom, like gosh, she's really neurotic. Like what the hell is up with her? Why is she so like this or so like that? And you start to just see your parents as people. And you start to be like, Jesus, my parents are a piece of work. If you're healthy, you trust and you get love from your parents and you revere your parents. And at a certain point, your parents, oh, wow, they're a piece of work. And you start to understand that what they told you is just their version of things. And you start to be skeptical and you start to get skeptical uh, of, of authority. Your parents are the original authority and then it's school and then it's whatever your government thinks and whatever your peers think. It's healthy. It's like an immune system. It's like, yeah, you believe some stuff. But then you start to doubt. And I think good parenting, you, you want your kid. I wrote a piece on this a few years ago. You want to brainwash your kids so society doesn't. You don't want to be one of those hippie parents that says, whatever, they can believe anything they want. I think you want to show what your values are, what your values as a family are, or what you believe in, and indoctrinate them a bit. So they see, like, this is what we believe in. This is what we think is true about the world. This is what's important in life. And then as they start to see you as a flawed human being that you are, they start to question them and doubt them, though they are still influenced by the orientation in which they grew up. And if they're healthy and they're raised to doubt, and hopefully your worldview and your values are of doubting authority, so they also realize that you're doubting authority and they doubt your authority to an extent. Um, they have a framework, they have a basis, they have a structure to understand things, they have a model, so to speak, but they also know the model is flawed because you also know, inculcated in them that you don't have the perfect answer, even though you believe strongly in some things and they start to doubt. And so this, this doubt toward authority, this sort of distrust of the powerful of anybody having a monopoly on truth is, is an immune system for the mind. And so they carry that throughout their lives and they get caught up in beliefs like everybody else. So they have some beliefs they they learn to question them, but they have them. And they're very suspicious of someone else telling them what the deal is about life. They're going to figure it out. They're going to question. This is healthy. This is what I would consider a healthy mental immune system. But just like in your regular immune system, certain toxins and certain uh, dysfunction, leaky gut, where proteins can leak through the gut and erode the gut lining and get your bloodstream. And then your blood sees those proteins as foreign invaders. And then it mounts an immune response against foods, certain foods and Maybe attacks your thyroid or attacks your pancreas and you have all sorts of different manifestations of autoimmune disease. Autoimmunity is when the immune system, instead of attacking the invader, gets confused and attacks its own tissue. And I feel like that's what's going on 
and it's, it's not by accident in our discourse, which is that a lot of people should be skeptical of what Joe Biden, the president or the president's press secretary or what the corporate media is telling them. But instead, they've trained their skepticism on themselves and not just themselves, but their own ability to discern something or to think critically or, oh, who am I to think critically? I best just trust the experts. The doctors must know. The epidemiologist, the epidemiologist, our precious epidemiologists. It's just like the way they speak about with reverence, uh, the Dr. Fauci, the epidemiologist. You're not a doctor. You're not an expert. So they, they, they revere these experts and they turn the skeptic. They, you're like, oh, who am I to critically think? They turn the skepticism on themselves and, of course, also their peers. You know, if somebody is a dissenter and says, you know, I don't fuck that epidemiologist. That guy was totally wrong about saying the vaccine prevented the spread of the disease. He was just totally wrong. And then now the CDC director, Rachel Walensky, admitted that she didn't even know that it prevented the spread of the disease. She just hoped that it did so. This is a quote. So fuck them. I'm not going to trust them anymore. It's ridiculous. And you say, oh, oh, really? You? Who are you? The skepticism is trained on the dissenter. It's trained on the dissent. It's trained on themselves. Oh, they can't be an expert. And other people who are making their own calls, who are thinking critically, who are thinking for themselves. And this is a form of autoimmune disease, in my opinion. It's just like autoimmune disease uh, in the body. So uh, I don't think this is by accident. I think people are getting the message that if you think for yourself, you're taking a dangerous risk, that you are, you are somehow a right winger. I have, I've been told that it's fascist to think for oneself, which is so funny because fascism is literally the fusion of corporate, corporate and state power, which is telling you what you must do rather than think for yourself. So thinking for yourself is literally the opposite of fascism. But I was told on Twitter a couple of times that saying to think for yourself or to be critical thinking is fascism. So it's this Orwellian freedom is slavery, war is peace. And then the other thing I was, gonna, I was thinking about is uh, a friend of mine studied Aikido for a couple of years, the Japanese martial art. You may be familiar with it through the great Steven Seagal, smashing people through a glass cabinet, doing some Aikido in his movies. And he, was, he did it for a couple of years. I think it hurt his knees a bit, so he quit. But while he was doing it, apparently the great masters, these, I don't know if they're eighth degree or ninth degree black belts in Aikido, and they were teaching one day and they explained that about 20 years earlier or whenever it was, their great master, their ninth degree black belt guy retired and needed to be replaced. And these two guys who were running the dojo or whatever it's called there were chosen to step up and, and be the masters. And the guy said, he was like, oh, no way. Like, who are we to take the place to fill the shoes of this great master? Like, we can't, you know, this is ridiculous. Like, this guy is, you know, it's like a. He's like a God to them. And we're just, you know, practitioners were skilled, but this is crazy. And then they were very like, I can't believe, you know, but then they did it. And then they were that guy. And now they're viewed as that guy. I used to think about this all the time. I'd, I'd be offered an airplane exit row seat. You know, they have more leg room. And I'd be like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to, something happens. I don't want to be responsible for this. And then I started thinking, wait a second, if something happens, better me than some person on medication who's barely able to function sitting there like I'll do my best I'll follow the instructions what, what else can I do you know if not me then who you know and I, I started asking for the the airplane exit row I know that sounds ridiculous people are like what you're scared to be in the airplane I was like I didn't want the responsibility that was my you know my instinct and then I was like well, what, what am I talking about I am the guy I'm you know I'd rather it be me than someone else what am I even leaving that to somebody else and I get this all the time 
I feel this all the time. You know, I post shit on Twitter. I do these podcasts. I'm solo podcasting, sharing my thoughts. Who the fuck am I to be telling people my thoughts? Why are my thoughts? I'm just some dude. Why are these relevant to anybody? Why do I have the presumption that my podcast should be listened to or something I write about should be read or I can post these philosophical musings or these ideas about politics on Twitter? Like, who the fuck am I to be saying all this shit? Like, what the hell do I know? Like, what the fuck? I'm not an epidemiologist. Uh, you know, so what the fuck am I opining on all this stuff for? Who am I to say this shit? I mean, I, I get it. It makes complete sense. And the real, and the truth is I just trust myself. I just trust my own judgment. I'm going to be the guy opening the thing. Hopefully it doesn't come to that on the airplane exit row. You know, I'm going to be the guy that if I were good at Aikido would say, okay, fine. I'll be the, I'll be the master of it. I'll do it. I will do it. Um, even though I might not feel qualified or ready to fill this great master shoes, I will do it because who else is going to do it? And I have to trust myself. What basis do I have for trusting myself? None. I mean, I have a bait. I have my own faith in myself. I try to make what I say coherent, relatable, but it's just my opinion. I mean, maybe I think it's coherent and relatable. Some people seem to share that sentiment with me, but you know, in the end, it's really just a matter of faith. I just believe believe in myself to express things. I just trust myself to have an idea and to express it. That's it. That is it. But I do think that that is, that is the thing that uh, you're being discouraged from doing is just saying, look, I'm going to trust myself and I'm going to get some things wrong and make mistakes. I may even embarrass myself at times, but I mean, okay, that's the price you pay. Anyway, I just, Figured I would talk about that because it, it even occurs to me that like, well, who the fuck am I to say this shit? And I'm like, I don't know. But the idea occurs. It seems right. I post it. You know, the, the idea seems right. I talk about it. I write about it. But in the end, it's just, it's just a matter of belief. A couple sports things. And I, and I am interested in this. So I've done a few NFBC leagues. I'm doing another Beat Chris List on Sunday, even after I vowed to do only one Fab League. And I'm doing it because I got a bit rug pulled on my last two leagues. So I was excited. Baseball started. I signed up for a $400 draft champions. I picked first. I took Fernando Tatis. He just had wrist surgery. I found out he's out for half the year. Uh, and I loved my team. Now I'm just tilty, like picking fast. I don't, I mean, I'm picking players I like, but I'm not even really agonizing over each pick. I'm just picking because I'm tilted because I lost my first 1.1. And it's not like he got hurt during week one or got injured during a game. He was already injured. I just didn't know about it. I mean, talk about a rug pull. I joked about this. Like each player with this lockout and no news comes with like a six month lag of mystery uh, where it's like, oh, he's going to prison for arson. Oh, great. You know, he's not even going to play this year. You just picked him in the first round. So kind of absurd. So I, I took him and then I took Acuna in the beat Chris List League last week. And now Acuna, they say, won't be back till May. Uh, although maybe he'll be back in late April. And since the season's delayed, it might not be that big of a deal that I, that I got him. But I just feel very rug pulled by baseball. And I'm sure it'll happen. At least if it happens during the season, you feel like, okay, it's just bad luck. But this was, I was drafting an already injured guy. I was buying damaged goods. I was buying counterfeit art. I got paid with counterfeit money. Anyway, I was, I was annoyed. But now I'm, I'm doing another one and I will hopefully, at least in the first round, or we'll see because I may take DeGrom. We'll see if I, uh, if I do the same thing yet again. But it's the last one. I'm not doing it anymore. I, I, I don't want to be beholden on Sunday night to it. A couple other things. 
oh, Tom Brady's back. It's funny, Dalton and I did a joking thing where, and I posted the video where it was like, oh, I'm just like Brady. I started you know, my career at Rotowire about the same time Brady did. I retired the same time Brady did. I'm just like Brady, except for Aaron Hernandez. And if Dalton would have killed a couple of people, then I would be just like Brady in every respect. But now Brady's coming back. Can't stay away for more than a month. So I think it's hilarious that Brady is coming back. Somebody paid 500K for that touchdown pass ball to Mike Evans in the playoffs. That guy now has a vested interest in protecting his investment. Just like in poker, you might protect your top pair with a big bet. Someone's got to hire Jeff Galuli to take out Brady's knees to protect his uh, investment in that last touchdown pass. Brady better be careful. I don't know if Jeff Galuli's still around. I don't. I doubt he could take Brady at this point. But you know, there's some Jeff Galuli types around. And if you don't know who Jeff Galuli is, feel free. I'm not even going to say Duck Duck Go though. I'm going to say feel free to. God knows how to search in Brave Search or something. I don't know. It, it's really messed up. This top topic, Duck Duck Go. The, uh, the CEO of it basically decided that he's going to downgrade Russian websites because he doesn't want to have Russian information coming into the, into the thing. And we just talked about how propaganda is flying everywhere from everywhere. Look, dude, I left Google for DuckDuckGo because I want to decide which propaganda I get to read. I can sift through different propaganda and figure out what to trust and what to reject. I don't want you making that decision for me. Do not understand that. Now, it's also better for privacy, he says, but he also said that the search results weren't tampered with. And now, and he's trying to hide behind, oh, well, all you know, search engines have algorithms and bases for up, up or downgrading the results. But that's, that's just a, a bullshit defense because um, it's one thing to have the algorithm care about things like inbound links or some sort of popularity metric. It's a totally other to do it on political grounds and who, what side you agree with. That's, that's a completely uh, cross the Rubicon step for DuckDuckGo. And I just don't think that guy understood that his audience is there not, not to be told what they can view and what they can't. Now, someone astutely pointed out in the comments to my tweet that, you know, maybe he needs another round of VC funding and they're demanding it. And that may be true, but that's not my problem. I don't give a fuck what his VC problems are. And, uh, and sorry, DuckDuckGo is, kind of dead to me. It's just another shitty search engine that got co-opted, got the disease. Um, if you want to build something that people care about, make it neutral like Bitcoin that doesn't discriminate against whether it's a good or a bad guy because the people in power define who is good and bad. They're going to decide, they're going to issue propaganda to make you agree. And so we just really cannot trust centralized authority to tell us who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. You got to decide for yourself and you want the information to be unbiased. You want the payment rail to be unbiased. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of a big thing. I will say one other thing about Bitcoin. It really feels right now, and again, I could be wrong. There's a lot of um, volatility in the marketplace. And with the whole Russia being cut out of SWIFT and the oil being withheld and the huge implications for the economy, I think a lot of people are expecting perhaps a huge correction in the markets, real estate, stock markets, bond markets. And they're waiting for that crash to get in big because that crash, at least in the short term, would also take down the price of Bitcoin. So they're waiting to get in big. And then when once it goes down and the government's in big trouble and they can't deal with the recession, they print all this money, then the price will skyrocket and you got more of it because you got in cheaper. That may happen and everyone's kind of sitting on the sidelines with all this money waiting to see where the bottom is, or it doesn't have to be the absolute bottom, but get it a little cheaper before the big run-up. 
And so that is preventing the big run-up because everybody wants it and they know they need it, uh, given that now the Fed, both with the truckers and with the Russian uh, reserve assets, that your, your money can be seized from the system, that whoever controls the system basically has a veto, total veto power of your money, and that they want to instantiate more uh, stringent systems to control what you do and what you think and what you say. Um, and so people are ready to get, get out of this. And since other people are going to get out of it and buy Bitcoin, then you should buy it because it goes up. Everyone knows we're all waiting. So I kind of feel like the real price is way, way higher than it is now. It's just sort of this timing issue where everyone's kind of playing a game of chicken to see if they can get it a little cheaper. And the fact is, it's just an absolute mathematical fact that only a couple of people are going to get it cheaper and almost everybody's going to get it way more expensive if they wait. So it's sort of a case to say, well, get in now at a decent place rather than hoping to get it better. And then it goes up. It's just like in fantasy baseball where you have a couple slots to fill and there's a few target players and you keep passing on a guy because you want a bargain and then none of them come in a bargain or the first guy who was sort of expensive was by far the best bargain you were ever going to get. The other guys went for way more and yet you're hoping for too good of a bargain. Other analogy I like about that is when you're looking for a parking spot in a crowded place and like four blocks away, there's a spot and you're like, I can do better. Sometimes you should try to do better. Don't settle for the spot, but sometimes you should take the spot because there isn't one better. And that was the best one you're going to get. So it's always the game. I think that's the game being played. So I really feel like the price is way, way higher People are willing to pay way more for it. It's just that they're hoping to get it cheaper. And as long as it's available at this price, why not wait a little bit longer? So that's what I think is going on in that market. That's all I got. Ted Bell's coming on on Tuesday. Definitely check out that and check out his Arch Independent podcast. I want to thank people who contributed money also to the podcast. Those who made new reviews, that was very nice. Keep those coming. If you find this podcast to be a value, offer some value back. It really sends a signal that I'm on the right track, that you should keep doing this. Again, I, you know, I don't want to do any subscriptions or any renewing things. I don't want to owe you anything. You don't owe me anything, but if you find it valuable and you would like it to continue its existence, that it's in your interest to contribute. That's just how I'll put it. It's in your interest. If you want to see this kind of thing spread and contribute in these ideas, then the best way to do that is to spread the word, make nice uh, reviews and of course, contribute. Also check out chrislist.com. All my written work is there. I've got links to good sources on Twitter and, and on the web uh, just for good information to help you curate your own body of knowledge. All right, uh, that'll do it till Tuesday, probably, unless something comes up. Let's have some ideas. Uh, talk to you then.